Hello and welcome to a special interview edition of Adult Music. This is our sixth interview, Mike. Yeah, and this one uh, features the Swedish composer that we spoke about a few weeks ago, Niklas Sivlov. We thought of him as a composer, but uh, he's informed us that he, <laughs> he, he seems to do everything. Yeah, Sivlov has an impressive discography of recordings. He's recorded Bach. Beethoven, Schumann, Stenhammer, England, Scriabin. As a pianist, yeah, because he's a pianist as well. And then he's recorded his own compositions, uh, 24 Preludes and his own Concertos. And then on top of that, he's a symphonist now. His works are pretty big and impressive. Yeah, we were say. really impressed, which is why we wanted to talk to him. And so he's got six symphonies completed, the seventh in progress, and we talked about the latest recording of those. Yeah, if you listened to our talk about his uh, symphonies one and five from a previous episode, we go into a little detail about the, the separate movements of that with him. So he'll yeah. illustrate them a little bit for you. If you're looking for a little bit more of an insight into what's happening in those works, you'll enjoy this. Hopefully the second one is going to be recorded soon. That will be interesting yeah. to hear. Now, on top of all of those things, he's also done some interesting things sort of outside of the classical box. He's recorded improvised music with traditional Chinese instruments and Chinese musicians. And he's also made a recording of pop and jazz type music with improvisations on both piano and organ, which was his original instrument. We really had a good time in this interview because uh, Nicholas was really easy to talk to and yeah. very open-minded. Very eager to talk about his music, too, which was also nice. Yeah. We were very impressed by him as well, too. He seems to have accomplished quite a lot. So sit back, relax, and please enjoy our interview with Nicholas Sivalov. Thanks for joining us, Nicholas. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Our pleasure. Yeah. I think the first question we want to ask you is um, the pronunciation of your family name. There's an umlaut over the O. Is it Sivelov? Yeah, in Swedish, we say Sivelov. Hmm. But I'm used to having Sivelov or something like this in, in outside Sweden. And actually, I played quite much before the pandemic situation in China. <laughs> I, I got the Chinese name because they had problems with spelling and pronunciation right. of my name. So I am Sivelu. Sivelu. Yeah, and it has a meaning. It's three words, actually. Sivelu. And I think it has to do with something very, something with balance and beauty. There is something, hmm. something about it, but it should also remind of, be a reminder of my original name. So oh. it's quite cool. Did you actually get to see the Chinese characters for it? Yes, I've seen them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I haven't learned to, to spell them yet <laughs> myself, but I've seen them. Yeah. It can oh, be great. complicated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's get musical. We were doing a little bit of research on you. It says you were born in the Northern Sweden which I imagine was uh, very cold and very dark in the winter. Was there much music up there when you were younger? Actually, we have quite a lot of music up there. Wow. Because um, we, we have a, a long tradition of choirs, mm -hmm. and also there's a lot of churches with music. There's also a number of churches. They all have music, also, you know, gospel and uh, and other kind of church music, you know. And, and the music school and the music gymnasium, was very popular. Mm -hmm. So I went both to the music school, played, I played percussion and piano. And before that, I had started with the organ by myself mm -hmm. because I, I liked it and I just, you know, I played by ear. So I didn't even read, read score. I couldn't wow. read notes when I was younger. I guess the long and dark winters, <laughs> they are kind of boring, but it also can inspire you to do things because there's not much to do. 
except winter sports. I mean, I played hockey for a long time. I was quite active in the hockey team mm. until I was 14, maybe 15. Wow. Everyone played hockey. It's really a hockey town. And they have a great team. They won the Swedish championships many times. And they have a lot of players from overseas, you know, from Canada and America. Shalefti is quite amazing because it's growing so much as a town. They have a new culture house now. It's the largest wooden building in the world. Oh, and Shalefti wow. was actually on the Time magazine top 20 list where to go, where to visit in oh, the world. Sweden, wow. Okay. <laughs> So my little town is growing, but it's always been a lot of music around and also in my, my home. You know, my dad played the piano as an amateur and for um, fun, he played boogie boogies and a little bit classical. And my mother, she sang in one of those choirs. Now, did you have an organ at home or did, did you have to go to a church to play or? Um, both. I had an organ at home and we also had a piano, but I didn't touch the piano so much until I was around 12. I liked the organ more. Because of the different registrations and you had, to, mm -hmm. you know, you could make different sounds. And, you know, I didn't play the piano actually at all uh, until I was around 11, 12. I started to get curious about this instrument. And uh, but I also went to a church sometimes to play mm -hmm. at, you know, the church organ. So you'd improvise on the church organ? I mainly improvised. I was very into Beatles. I liked Beatles a lot, and I played all their songs. And I made, wow. I composed my own songs from the from the age of eight. I had my own radio show locally there when I was nine. I presented several of my own little tunes. You know, I didn't know mm -hmm. how to notate them, but I had composed with harmonies. I had learned myself mm -hmm. how to make harmonies, and so this was quite a good school. I mean, it's, it was not organized. It was not, I did many things I didn't know. I was self-taught, but I used my ears so much. And I had, you know, I had a creative side to, you know, explore. Mm -hmm. um, so it came later, the need for learning to read the score right. properly, because I tried to play a Mozart concerto. I think it was number 13 from ear. Um, and you can, of course, do it, but it's quite complicated to always hear what is actually there, you know. And right, you hear right. the orchestra also. So I thought this is quite practical. You want to play with others, you know. And I had a teacher, a new teacher also that inspired me. So, of course, he was shocked. Can, you cannot read. I could read, but very, <laughs> very slowly. And I had right. also some kind of resistance for this because I didn't want to play just, you know, the notes and correctly. I wanted to play more freely, which is a good thing. But, of mm. course, this is what you learn to do later. Mm. Combination. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have an, an organ question for you later so i'll keep that in my pocket <laughs> until then yeah well anyway yeah what surprised us about you because we learned about you as a as a symphonist as a composer but mm -hmm. you had mentioned that you consider yourself to be a pianist first you, you think of yourself more as a pianist can you tell us about that yeah because i i played the piano for a very long time and and composing symphonies it came much later right it was also had, it had to do with the pandemic situation, but I started before to explore symphony, the symphony structure. But it was not uh, like a commission or I thought this would be played at all. Mm -hmm. Just I was curious how, what I could do with the orchestra and how to make good orchestration. I'm not totally self-taught there. I had lessons when I was a student in Stockholm, but I, I never really com yeah, I composed piano concertos uh, before right. with orchestra, but I wanted to explore things without the piano. Okay. So that made me uh, really explore. And I got inspired and I started to compose several symphonies. And then I met a, a friend 
a new a new uh, colleague conductor Joachim Gustafsson and um, mm-hmm. who conducted the uh, current Naxos recording. He did it, right. yeah, and, and you know he, he looked at into my music and he was wow, this is really great. I hadn't shown it to anyone almost, you know. I was doing for myself merrily and. Uh, I was not uh, very active, but he uh, but he asked, "What about your symphonies?" And I sent them to him, and he well, he liked them so much, so he recorded. He has recorded now. Let me see. There's one, two, three, four, four symphonies and the five pieces for strings. I've listened to all of those. Has the second been recorded? No, the second has not been recorded. That's a huge, huge thing. Oh, really? Um, sounds interesting. <laughs> I want to get back to that uh, symphonies. Um, maybe we'll start with a little more piano. Lots of pianists specialize in a period or a certain composer, but you've done so much in a very wide uh, range. You've recorded yeah. Bach, Beethoven, Schumann, Stenhammer, England, Scriabin. <laughs> and then the easiest for me to approach of your own works was your piano music recording in on Toccata in 2015. Yeah. It's just yeah. solo piano. And there seems to be a lot of influences in there. Of course, I can hear uh, Bach, but I, I noticed also maybe Prokofiev in some of the more modern things. And there's in the impromptu, you have a little kind of a nod to Sati, I think, in there mm-hmm. that's obvious. But obviously, a lot of your own character coming out in there. How do you see the mix of composers that you've performed kind of mixing with your own ideas in there? Do you see any more particular influences that draw you one way or another? Because there's quite a lot of variety in those uh, works on that recording. I'm, I'm surely very influenced of, of many composers. Stravinsky, I heard that people mention, and Prokofiev also. Um, also French music, which I played very much as a young pianist. Uh, I'm not too scared about, uh, you know, um, sounding a little bit, you know, having influences. I think it's uh, it's very natural. It's... it's you should, of course, end up doing something personal anyhow. So it's, it doesn't become pastiche. And yeah. um, I think also my piano concertos have the same thing. And and um, I'm very aware of, of this fact. And I actually, I, I enjoy writing in styles um, that are and being used, but with a certain twist, you know. So I think uh, at least it seems to some some reviewers they 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 say exactly that that you can hear the influences. But he, at the end of the day, Sibelius is very much his own man because mm. he, I I twist it in a way so it's not just Stravinsky. Sure. Right, well, right. it's something there, you know. And and I'm not I'm allowing this, and um, it's also kind of tribute I think sure. to great masters. And uh, I don't know, it's it's through history. It's been something like this. We have both a difficult but also a great situation now that we have such a long tradition of great music composed. My own philosophy is that um, it should be looked upon, you know, and and incorporated in your music making. And um, I think just that I'm born in this century and uh, I'm I'm born in Sweden, I will be personal enough, you know. Sure. I'm not afraid of being, you know, like it's a copy or something, but it's, mm. it should be original, you know. But on the other hand, you know, it's music that's tried too much to be original, in my view, can it be a risk that it misses the, the point somehow mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't communicate something very clear. Sure. Because mm-hmm. it becomes something that you, you have thought about. It's a great thought, right. you know. Mm-hmm. But music is very organic also, it's all connected. 
Yeah. So that's the, both a great thing, but also a difficult thing. So think how to make something new with those, only those uh, notes we have to use. I'm curious about your process. When you compose, do you start with a concept or an idea, maybe non-musical that inspires you? I, I remember in the Naxos note, <laughs> you wrote a, a jazz ballad about your cat. Absolutely, yeah. When you compose for piano or otherwise, do you have like a melody idea that strikes you first or do you tend to work from a harmonic progression or sceneries of tone? Uh, I'm just curious as what your original process for approaching compositions is. I have an idea um, which is both musical and, and structural structure mm. idea. I want to make something th so I don't repeat myself. So it's like the first symphony is very Nordic. Um, second symphony is the, the, the myth of Sisyphus. Uh, it mm -hmm. has with this, you know, rolling the stone up. And uh, I read this um, novel by, by Albert Camus, which right. he also describes this process. And I, I, I wanted to write something repetitive, use a little mm -hmm. bit minimalistic influences. And so it's not Nordic, second one. Third one, it's, it's a part of, of a little season cycles I have because it's, it's the spring symphony. But it's, again, a little bit Nordic, but I wanted to do it for chamber orchestra and, and something more, less demanding, not so long. So that's the spring symphony. And then came the, the fourth, which is for strings, and it's very much dealing with Pasakalia and um, variation techniques and um, i'm trying to be a little bit you know i put the theme towards the end don't start with the theme but i have variations and then the theme comes clearly only in the end and these kind of things i was uh, doing the fourth symphony and then in fifth symphony i thought this with three movements i wanted to do two movements which are kind of like a diptych mm -hmm. they are really connected like two panels Right. And they don't even contrast that much. And I thought that's a challenge because it will be boring. It will mm. be monotonous. But it, it came out quite good, I think, anyhow, mm. because there is some relation between two siblings still, you know, twin. I have twin sisters, so maybe oh, there's oh, something wow. to it. And the sixth symphony has not been played, but there I wanted to do a lot of little episodes with chamber music and a lot of solistical things. And this is the Atono di Ferro. It's the iron fall or autumn, autumn mm -hmm. or iron. Mm -hmm. It was also lockdowns and pandemic mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And it was just an iron, the autumn of iron. You I know. See. It has some symphonic ideas, which is more grand, but it's very difficult. It has a lot of soloists mm -hmm. playing and, and difficult little episodes with chamber music. And then the seventh symphony, that is the winter. And this is going to be a large scale symphony. It's, 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 and I think it's, it feels like this is one of my best piece. I don't know. It's not finished wow. yet, but that's the winter piece. It's about the Arctic and there is some very, both dark and, but also optimistic light. There's some light, bright mm -hmm. light, but it's quite dark. It's a uh, winter. And then the summer is missing, but then I have the <laughs> developmental for orchestra that I wrote, which is very light and, and humoristic work. So that's the summer. So I actually, I'm soon will complete this unofficial seasons right. series. Yeah, this sounds like a massive project. Um, <laughs> many of the, the great composers of the past were pianists. And I often think about Beethoven, who started as a pianist and later was only composing, but that was because of his um, deafness. I wonder if you see yourself moving more towards composition. I don't think so. I'm actually playing more than, than ever. 
And I, okay. I also f- feel like it's been a quite healthy break, you know, from playing okay. and concerts because of COVID. And, and then it's been two years. And, and, and I'm actually feeling that I have more to say than ever on the stage. So I, I won't lose wow. that. But I'm also a teacher. I'm also a guest teacher up in Northern right. Sweden. And mm-hmm. uh, I also run my record company, you know, the AMC is my own company. And then okay. I have a family. I have two sm- small kids. They are uh, nine and 11. And it means that my time is not, you know, endless. And right. so I, I usually I'm very efficient during the summer when I'm, you know, not right. at the college. Then I, I compose most of my works in the Christmas or summer vacation. Mm-hmm. Right. I cannot, you know, sustain it if I'm going to, I have, I think I have 15 students, you know, and my own playing and traveling. Then I cannot sustain composing also because composing is like, this is not something you can go. If I have one hour, I go to the piano and practice the next piece I'm going to play. I but see. if I have one hour, I cannot start on the seventh symphony because it's kind of half finished. I wouldn't, right. I cannot do it in one hour. If I get started, right. I will do only this. Mm-hmm. So that's why I need to have a substantial length of time at my disposal if, when I start the process. It can also be slow to start. Now I, I did so much with the seventh and, uh, you know, actual writing, then I comp- I still compose in my head. I still yeah. do things. And also with the new concerto for viola and orchestra is also, I changed a lot because I start to think about it. So it's a constant uh, thing, you know, going on. When you compose, would you say that you picture music like as a pianist or is it more abstract than that? You just kind of hear sounds and... I will tell you like this, yeah. Actually, when I play the piano, I think about the orchestra. Okay. I try to, you know make orchestration. I imagine different orchestras, especially Beethoven. Mm. Obviously in Chopin, there is not so much orchestra, but there is more colors. But in general, I play a lot of Bach, Beethoven, and then especially Beethoven, you have the orchestral quality. And in Bach, of course, you have the organ quality, how to, you know, make the the sounds on the piano sound longer, sustain them without the pedal, but just in your mind, you know, and with your touch. Mm Like pianists like Anders Schiff is doing, you know, he use very little pedal and he can still play long notes. Right. It comes from also thinking like an organ. Interesting. But anyway, I do think that I, my orchestral thinking was helping me that I could actually compose so much symphonic music without having so much experience. Right. And I did have knowledge about orchestration, but this is not something that I just use. Oh, I know the, I know this. I want to be creative, you know. Mm-hmm. So the music and orchestration, they are for me, it's not for all composers like this, but for me, mm-hmm. they are really connected. Uh-huh. I don't write kind of particel. I write like a piano version and I make orchestration. No, I, I compose from the beginning with which, because depending on which instrument you have and which color you have, this is also making the character, not only the notes. It's like it's one process, you know, right. for me. Yeah, I was curious. Our first impression of, your orchestral music was the symphonies one in five recording. And so the thing that struck me was the rich use of the full timbres of the orchestra, particularly mm-hmm. memorable and striking brass parts. Then also the sense of motion. I felt that your music moves in kind of scenes, but with interesting kinds of, it's not just rhythm. I use the word motion more in mm-hmm. the way that 
parts start moving into the next sort of scape of sound with different colors. And I could detect kind of a Nordic Sibelius influence, but we like uh, also Nielsen a lot and mm-hmm. Van Hombo. Because yeah. I was a trumpet player originally, so I'm, I'm always oh. waiting for the brass. And when I heard yours, I said, oh, there it is. <laughs> I really like that. So this is just my imagination of someone composing at the piano and then these brass parts appear. <laughs> so I wonder where you got those tone colors to just come out into the orchestra like you that. Know, I am very grateful to Sibelius. You know, on, on, on a distance, I'm actually related to Sibelius. Oh, wow. You know, because mm. my family came from Finland and then this is a a certain branch of the, but I mean, there's many people in this, it's a big family, but it's still a, this yeah. family. And I always listen to Sibelius and I also like his piano music. And I felt connected to the symphonic way. I like when he is, is kind of um, the way he, he's still using the orchestra, but maybe in a way that like, it's not like Mahler that said that one symphony must contain the whole world. Right. And Sibylla said, no, no, I don't agree. It's just a part of the world. And I, I feel connected to it. I don't want to say everything I can in one symphony. Mm-hmm. And I also allow sometimes very sparse writing, you know, maybe just solo flute and some timpani or something very. And, you know, when you create the space in the orchestra, you have, you have also the distance. You use the distance, also the space, but also musically that we can then appreciate, okay, now comes another color. Mm-hmm. So, so this is, uh, this is very important for me. I was trying to be very clear that I'm not overusing, but just because I have an orchestra, I use them all the time too much. I'm not saying that it's a general thing, but I think it's quite, it's absolutely a risk that you can, as a composer, that you're too eager to use the orchestra. Right. I mean, all of it. Mm. because now I can write for orchestra. So I think that maybe it's a kind of a good thing for me that I didn't compose for a certain orchestra. I composed my first symphony only for myself and not because thinking, oh, this is going to be played by this orchestra next year or this size. I just wanted to find a way to, to for me to compose a symphony that I could say, this is not not too bad, mm. you know. This I, I managed to do some things I wanted to do. And then, of course, I explore with these things going in the finale. Some things are just, you know, repeating, and then there's things adding, and then comes this hymn, this choral, which grows and grows and doubles and doubles. And this is stretching it out, you know, almost you think, can you stretch it more? It will burst. You know, some, some reviewers said that he's really stretching it too far, <laughs> but still it was enjoyable. And I think it's, it's on the edge. Then it ends with this just cluster chord, yes, and then it snaps, you know, yes, this rubber band. You know. mm. But I learned from Sibelius, of course, with the brass very much. Yeah. And I think also to blend it with the timpani, to have this kind of forest-like sound. There's something, you know, in the background, there's some noise from the leaves. There is something. It's mm. not quiet. It's, they, people say, you go to the forest, it's quiet. No, it's not quiet. Start to listen. Yeah the wind, mm-hmm. the leaves rustling, there's some animals. It's quiet in a way, you know, it's not the city. But the end. So I think maybe this is uh, something Nordic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I hear this in Sibelius's symphonies a lot, what you just said, the um, mm-hmm. this kind of like this, you know, there's all this sound, but it's very quiet. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. how, is there a specific way that you would evoke that, for example, in the first mm-hmm. symphony? Well, I think the use of timpani and brass sometimes, mm-hmm. it can okay. have this similar effect. 
I think mainly that, uh, maybe some percussion sometimes. But of course, I had a very special program. For example, second movement is inspired from the, the painting The Scream right. by Edvard Munch. <laughs> so it, of course, it has a different intensity. And of course, mm-hmm. you have the scream. And in the score, it says also silent scream that the conductor <laughs> yeah. should do afterwards. Doesn't work very well in the, con- in the <laughs> recording. But still, in the, it's not being performed live. But I think live, this could be quite intense. But that's why in the recording, we were discussing this place in the second movement right. after the scream, and then comes a little bit more silent scream. And then comes this actually silent scream, yeah. which is silent. But then we had first just three, four seconds, you know, the producer right. said, that's enough, we cannot have more silence, you know. <laughs> but we must just have, you must be brave. So we kept it totally silent for at least five, six seconds, which is quite much, you know. Because yeah. everyone is worried about that it's going to be silence, you know. <laughs> That's funny. So we live in Japan and silence isn't really something you hear too much in Western music. Really, I think Debussy had that um, yeah. that moment of silence at the beginning of Prelude à l'Apremédie d'Enfant and that shocked yeah. audiences, right, when they first heard it. And you still don't hear much of that. But in Japanese music, there's silence all the time and they seem very um, uh, comfortable with it. I'm curious about the silence at the end, the silent scream. I would think that in order for that to be effective, it sort of has to be led into what came before. Has there ever been a performance that has satisfied you as far as this goes? No, it's or? never been performed live. It's only the recording. Oh, the symphony okay. has not been played. That's, that's my point. So in the recording, it's of course just we can only stretch the time, the silence right. of the time. It's it's kind of hard to tell. Like if I hadn't read the note, I wouldn't know. Yeah, you know, just, yeah. Just, of course, you know. it's 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 not also necessary to know. It's anecdote. It but, should just be there. Okay. Live, you can of course very make it very dramatic. You can do the conductor can make a, a right. you know right. like this, and then no one plays. I don't know. <laughs> that could be interesting. Okay, so the Nordic Symphony. We we're already talking about that. It says this was written at the time of your the birth of yeah. your son. Was that, that's always a life-changing event for men and women both, but fathers and mothers. Was he part of the inspiration for the yeah, work? I, I think so. I, I wanted to give birth to something else my, because my wife was, you know, doing all the hard work <laughs> as a woman. Um, maybe I felt also need to do something out of the ordinary. Right. And I've always, I always actually been scared of writing symphonies. I didn't think I had it in me. Yeah, this is your first symphony, right? Yeah, and, um, so... I just start, I remember starting it and I thought I will really challenge myself. So I just started. I had no idea this is going to be a Nordic symphony. I just okay. started. I, I imagined something interesting. How, how should it begin? What is the first theme? I hadn't even decided that. I just made it, you know, directly in the score. And then I listened and said, this is good. It just happened. And then it started to build. And then I had some ideas from another piece with this second movement and even the third movement. But the first movement, I had some also some ideas for what should come later, but the beginning I didn't have. And this is one of the first times I, I didn't, you know, think about before starting to compose, just starting, just putting the notes there. And then I just, just happened. I don't think it ever happened since that I just composed it like this. Wow. Like getting it from like about maybe I was very inspired from this having a child, my first child. Right. I don't right. know this connection. Now I, I I always have an idea, and then I start and I make some sketches and 
never like this. It was the first and only time. You know, when we did the podcast, I had mentioned that the first movement sounded very episodic, like it, it mm -hmm. went from one scene to the next mm -hmm. scene. And I'm just wondering, is there a, a structure that I'm missing there? Would you agree with that? Or is there more to it? There is a structure. Yeah, yeah. There is absolutely a structure. Well, yeah, there would actually, have to be. It might sound episodic, but it's, it's, it has an introduction. Then it has the main theme. And then it has the second theme. And then it has a development section. And then it has a long transition with that, you know, just chord lying there in this country's mm -hmm. English form like mm -hmm. an empty swan, you know, uh, over the lake. And then it's a recapitulation. And in the recapitulation, the second theme comes like very violently also. And then it ends with the, some of the second theme. So it, it has some, but maybe this, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a structure to it. Right. So it sounds like you just described a, a sonata. So yeah, yeah. Kind of... Uh, sonata, but it has a very important introduction also, which is not right, not part of the the sonata. And this form. this introduction theme comes also at the end. All of this, it is the timpani. There is a rhythm, you know. Okay, it's it's connected, but it's of course it's uh, I don't know. It's some reviewers. There's sometimes they wrote about my music. It's like a puzzle, but uh, you know you intrigued by listening again and you find some more pieces <laughs> right. to put together. And the, I, I agree that it could also be something a bit rhapsodic to my mm -hmm. music. That it's um, I have many ideas. So especially my earlier pieces had many ideas, maybe, maybe too many. Uh, I managed to make it into a, something anyhow. And now I. You know, with age, I try to be, maybe I don't have so many ideas anymore, or I try to use what I have more wisely. Next week, I'm going to make premiere of, I'm playing myself the solo part in, in Örebro, the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. We are doing my sixth piano concerto oh, okay. there, and it's going to be recorded also. Oh, fantastic. And it has a subtitle, it's called Earth Rights. And not rights as uh, women, women's rights. It's rights as like a right. Like the right of spring rights. Right of spring. And then, because you mentioned, uh, I don't remember when, but something about emotion mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. music. And there is a right. The final right is a right of motion. And it's in 5-8. Okay. But mm. this has rights. It has right of ascension, right of flight, right of um, of old time. Ancient time, right of ancient time, right of uh, anxiety, and right of meditation, and right of uh, motion. And I th think it's the most pro programmatic piece I've written so far, because it has clearly a program, and it's inspired from the times we live in, and also these uh, uh, things that um, keeps us together, and what is uh, human life, like an overall feel to i mean we need to this uplifting first movement is the ascension you know to lift the soul and it's nothing religious to it it's just that we are a little bit maybe go, i felt very much going down and right. pressed down yeah. and i want to lift up so this is exciting and um also because um well i managed to write six concertos right. for the piano so that's uh, it's got me wishing these were all out on <laughs> you know, <laughs> streaming or CD we'll right now. To that you know, one coming up. We have yeah. to wait. You made it sound very enticing. I'd really like to hear that work, actually. All right. J just getting back to the first symphony. Earlier, you had mentioned that you have the whole orchestra and you want to use it all. And it seems to me that that's, that happens in the first symphony 
if not as much in the fifth, then probably not in yeah, the other. Yeah, that's true. I'm kind of eager to yes, show exactly. off the first one. There's a big bone quality to that, but then it goes into these really wonderful, like gentle, like metallic percussion sections, and I, I just found that really enchanting. I was just wondering what that evoked for you in that um, movement. Let me think. You t- which movement are you talking about? First? The first, the first movement. Yeah, the ending of of the second theme. It has the tubular bells, and it right. has some other instruments. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of this, you know. Maybe could be we had. Very clearly, you know, the church is ringing in my hometown. Oh, nice. See, now I have to go back and listen again and think of it. Could be something like this, or I mean, it's not the first time we have distant church bells, but Shalefti is famous for its Christianity. You know, there is, when I went to, I mean, it's very Christian, it's very religious and, and very active in this, and also in the fields of, of more modern churches, like, uh, I don't know what you call them, but it's... Uh, free churches, not, not the state church, but uh, I guess they're all imported from America, but they are very popular. <laughs> and and I remember being one of maybe th- we were 25 people in the gymnasium class, music gymnasium. Mm-hmm. And I, I was one out of three people not being, you know, active in any church. Mm-hmm. It doesn't believe, say that I'm not, you know, believe in certain things, but I was not. I was not keen to take part in this. It was. It was kind of everyone was in this this right. little society, and uh, it also. I think I had quite. Uh, perhaps I was quite lonely uh, in a way up there because it's. Uh, uh, even if I played ice hockey, and I was, um, it was really a hockey town and in sports, and not many <laughs> classical people like you know really and and uh, you know this can really make you stronger or may make you kind of what do i want you know it's not to be isolated can sometimes be 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 a blessing but of course mm-hmm. then i moved to stockholm i moved to romania i moved to germany to study i was in finland mm-hmm. but at that time maybe that was really something i remember going into my little uh, cave you know music cave mm-hmm. and you know just creating music and, and the world around me was really this winter and dark. I see. Now, the third movement of this symphony has to do with a witch's Sabbath. And, um, yes. An interesting um, thing to put into a Nordic symphony. Can you talk about that influence a little bit? We, we believe, you know, we have we celebrate a lot this with the witches. And uh, it's also in the, the folk tales, you know, in the myths. Right. We have, we have belief, belief in, in witches and okay. trolls, of course, also. All these kind of things in all times. This is new to me. <laughs> I didn't know that this is very, very strong folk tale stories about witches and trolls right. and elves. Yeah. We were always warned for this to go close to any stream or river ah. because this guy was playing and he was nude. He was playing the violin very beautiful right. to allure people to come into the river and drown. I see. And all these stories always has a, a darker side, you know. We were warned to go because don't go to the forest and you, you, you know, it's dangerous. <laughs> of course, maybe not my generation so much, but my mother's generation and before that, witches. And they really believed in that. And there's, of course, also good witches. But the, the ones I'm talking about is one riding on the broom, you know. Right. Mm. And they have this fire dance, dance around the fire. So... Uh-huh. Um, that's a part of Nordic history. That's a part of Nordic you know, history. I need to know a little bit more about. It. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
to create something that is not just, you know, sunshine and blue sky and, you know, lakes and forests. And, you know, there's also something yeah, contrasting. Yeah, it made me think of uh, Berlioz, of course, because he has that famous uh, "Which is Sabbath" in the uh, Symphony Fantastique. Yeah, he does. I, I'm not influenced of that. I didn't think about that at all, but I know that there is some similarities. Yeah, musically, I heard this a lot of Stravinsky in that, though. There's a lot of uh, sort of rhythm and percussive. Yeah, that that theme, ba 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 ba. This right. my stage, you know, this little Syncopian theme, hmm. and some of the things are very hard to play. It's hard when I notate it because I kept notating many things. I did change, but in the original version, it's too tempy. Right. You have uh, uh, one tempy, three, four, and then you have another kind of tempy in nine, eight, because you have this da-da-da-da-da-dun, dun, dun, and then it goes da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But we, we re-notated that, so it's all in, in three, four. It was much easier for the conductor. It's not possible. Uh, I mean, it's possible, but it's very, very hard. As a listener, I found that hard to follow because I read that, that it was all 3-4 and it really, <laughs> I really couldn't, I was having trouble counting yeah, and, it. and I changed the notation because in se several parts before it was always offbeat. Mm -hmm. ba, 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 ba. And for a classical musician, it's really hard when they have to play relaxed mm. offbeat. Right, yeah. yeah. Because it should something. Ba, 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 da, da, da. And then um, I did re-notate some things on the beat. But mm -hmm. some of the offbeat quality stayed. So it's it's a difficult movement. It's not easy to play. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah I, can, I, I can hear that. <laughs> All right, now, the, the Fifth Symphony is really a different animal altogether. It's not as big-boned as the first. It's It seems more... So, some of the instruments have been stripped away, and it's sort of, um, I don't want to say more focused, but it's it's leaner, let's say. Yeah. Although, although I wouldn't exactly say it's lean. This says um, that it was dedicated to your mother. Yes, because my third symphony is dedicated to my father, I see. and I need to be have some fairness. Um, <laughs> and it, it also suits her, her personality. The third one is very joyful and open, mm -hmm. and my father was quite happy. My mother oh. is a little bit more introspective okay. and uh, troubled, maybe. But um, she's still living in Shaleftio. She's 90, and uh, she's doing well by herself. But anyway, um, yes, the fifth, fifth symphony, I wanted to make it, you know, uh, to take away, as you said, leaner, yeah. uh, to use only the, the things I really need. Right. Uh, it still has some, of course, some bigger moments. But And then I had this idea about, for the fifth one, to be like a concerto for orchestra. That's all players, like the tuba has quite much to do in the first movement. For example, and also woodwinds among mm -hmm. some, they, they have challenging parts. So that's, um, that's something, you know, virtuoso for the orchestra. Uh, maybe it doesn't sound very, very good, but it is actually quite difficult. Some of the episodes, especially in the first movement, the first movement loosely has a theme with variation because the variations are, it's mixing and blending kind right. of organically. So you don't, seamless you said mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. say that's why i say it's a little bit loose because it's it's not like this it starts and uh, stops a little bit without one noticing it is that the entire structure of the first movement theme and variations yeah it is okay and then it ends at the at the last variation i see yeah okay now we're back to the um the second movement which is uh russ had mentioned earlier the the jazz ballad that influenced this mm -hmm. Yes, it's inspired by my. I had three cats before I really got allergic. Mm -hmm. 
cannot have cats anymore. <laughs> but I had a cat, uh, all black, very big guy, but he had a very squeaky voice. <laughs> and and he was sneaking around. He had this way of sneaking around. And I was just, I wrote some pop songs. I also released some of them, but not this one. But it oh, was called yeah. Silent Tale because you could never hear him coming. And it was, right. but he was so big. So it was a wonder that you couldn't hear him. But he had a way to move around. And all these cats we had, it, this was when, when I was living in Stockholm, um, they were stray cats. Right. And uh, so they, they, they came to us and we, we had at, uh, and uh, the last um, cat we had uh, I gave to my parents because I was traveling so much he lived to be 20 mm -hmm. uh, and he was a great cat but Ringo he he was uh, he had a short and intense life but he he inspired me so um, yeah I I um, I used this this ballad as as a foundation and then is I add some things in the middle but mainly it's the, the jazz ballad yeah it may sound strange. I don't know. It's like, uh, <laughs> but, you know, some people, if you think symphony, other symphonies, sometimes Brahms use folk music or Dvorak also. Mm -hmm. Jazz is a kind of modern folk music or it's uh, it's songs, you know, it's, it's this tune, uh, it's quite simple. But I, of course, I, I disguised it. Uh, there is one place that I particularly like that I kept something uh, I don't know if you noticed that. Um, there's one of the upbeats. Mm -hmm. I kept one of those. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, well, it's, it's a long movement. I'll have to <laughs> listen more carefully. Comes in the original version much more often. Bum, 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 bum. Okay. But I kept it once. It's very funny when it comes because it's really the bass, you know. Bum, 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 bum. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to put the headphones we'll on and check that again. That yeah. more <laughs> So the influence of the Silent Cat is heard in the the ballad, is what you're saying. The, the, like the ballad really influences the movement. So the, the yeah, cat influenced totally. the ballad, and then the ballad. Okay, absolutely. Mm. I see. Okay, and it's been disguised, and we don't know what the original tune is. <laughs> no, <laughs> make it really hard for us. <laughs> it was a good movement, though. Are we going to be hearing any of your other symphonies on uh, Naxos? Is this going to be part of a series? I don't think so. I don't know. But but at the moment, we, as I told you, we are recording the sixth. Concerto right. next week. Yes. And there's plans of playing um, my friend Joachim Gustafsson, the, the conductor for the other uh -huh. CDs. He's, he's going to premiere the Seventh Symphony and also the uh, Divertimento in, in Colombia. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are doing more and more collaboration with the, with the Philharmonic Orchestra in Colombia. I did the Beethoven Fourth Concerto and the Violin Concerto in version for piano with them. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to do all the six Beethoven concerto with them. But we uh, we will also do some of my symphonies okay. recorded there. I think that's the plan. Great. So it might be Naxos. It might be another label. I am not sure. But and the second symphony, I would love to get it played. It's substantial, a big work. I already made a, an easier version. It's, it's my friend Paul Mann, who is, is a great conductor, and he helps with the layout. You know, he makes my... My scores, I said, oh, this is really, I mean, Niklas, your music is generally not easy to play, but this is really on the edge, too difficult. So I might maybe reconsider. I think mainly my music is quite virtuoso um, to play. I don't know, it's uh, my style. There is some a little bit more simple stuff, but I think I, I also, I don't know, it might be maybe my influence as a pianist that, uh, you know, I wanted to, to be lively. Right. 
Well, the um, the recordings on that we heard on Naxos were you know beautifully performed. It's it's really pretty amazing for a, a new work to sound so yeah, you know, well, well realized. <laughs> they had they had more time than usual. You know, they had some extra time mm-hmm. uh, because when they recorded the first Fotokata classics, that recording was like a normal recording, three days, and then they were really pressured to make it happen. You know, and then now they had five days. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more question. When you compose, do you compose on paper? Do you use a computer? Do you have software? How does how do you do that? I have software. I have Sibelius. Okay. Okay. Oh, the Sibelius software. I'm yeah. yeah. aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, I switched many years ago. I used to have Finale. Now I have Sibelius. And then I write also some sometimes um, by hand, you know. If it's something quick and that's my idea, it's much quicker to make it in pen and paper. Just for uh, listeners that might not know, Sibelius is a... Um, Besides being a Finnish composer, it's also the name of a music software program, a professional music software program, just so people know. I wanted to ask you about a couple other interesting things you've done. In addition to all of the piano recordings you've done in your original compositions and now orchestral works, you've done these uh, interesting little diversions from that area. And you mentioned going to China soon. And you've did this recording in 2019 continuum with uh, traditional Chinese instruments, I guess you could say focused on oriental harmonies and things. And I listened to that. It's really uh, interesting and dreamy recording. How did that come about? What's the genesis of that project? I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, this is a little bit forgotten recording. I don't know, because it was hard to place, you know, what is it about? You know, it's always to me to label things. And it didn't fit any good label, label. So it was a bit um, on the side. But I think it's a very interesting concept. We, yeah, yeah. I had this Confucius ensemble that played. He had a branch at the school in Copenhagen at the Royal Academy, and they had um, students from China. And they had uh, we had also teachers for their uh, traditional instruments. And we wanted to the, the the school had an idea to make a kind of more collaboration with the classical Western style and instruments. And uh, we had done a couple of projects and I had this idea. So I got, I got a project. It was based on me teaching them kind of to improvise. They were already improvising, but people should improvise, you know, on the spot and in different styles. And so it's, uh, they brought mostly, well, not only, but I mean, they stayed quite much in their own the home ter- territory, you know, the Asian, the, the Chinese way to play. And I did a little bit, you know, I took a little bit up that in my playing. But but and then also I have, I'm like a contrast. I play also Western harmonies right. or, and, and also force them to, not force, but, you know, we should do this and you should not stay only in that traditional, do something quite modern, some, mm. you know, some clashes. We did that. And and this is all spur in the moment. It's It's not composed, it's improvised. And then we, we had long sessions, you know, and then we made an edit and took the best things out. And uh, there's some exciting things going on. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. It's hard to label it, don't you think? What would you say? What Which label would it be? World music or classical or jazz or Chinese music? Maybe it's more of a world music kind of thing. Their influence is strong and, you know, the modes they're using you can tell that that's natural to them. But I was listening to what you're doing. It's kind of a bridge between Western and, and Asian I music. think it was actually a very successful project. But this, uh, it was hard to get this recording out 
to make people understand what is it about, you know. And and, and in China, we presented it. Oh, this is not uh, Chinese, really. Right, right. It's exciting, but they didn't know what what. So it it's you know it ends up being um, a crossover. Yeah. Uh, but it it can be. Uh, it, I think it's as an experiment. It's really nice, and there are some very nice tracks there. But uh, and and of course, this could have been uh, a start of something long term connection. And now they they fortunately they have to cancel this department, mm. so we don't any longer have this affiliation with the with China in that sense at the academy. So that was like a starting point for something bigger. And I might try to pick it up. I actually have a new project when you you mention it. I'm in contact with a a great um, tabla player, Mm. uh, Indian player. She lives in Stockholm and she, she, we had contact. She wanted to do something around Bach. It was my suggestion we do some improvisation and and something with the mixing Indian music and Bach. Oh, wow. But I haven't gotten gotten around to that yet. Too many things always happening. Right. But I can say that I don't know by what other classical musicians generally feel about this, but I I am very open minded, and I'm yes. really curious to try and even to fail, you know, and to try something in this field. I also did a recording. Maybe you didn't find see that one, but I did with a accordion player from um, his um, Serbian Serbian folk music. We didn't find I, this one. I, I don't think. One, yeah. Yeah. No. no, and and with classical piano, and that's and he also played. He played with. Uh, he's a great guy. He played with Savinol, you know, from Weather Report. He played with them. Oh wow! <laughs> but this is also something completely else, and, and people were, you know. Yes. Exciting, but what is it? What, what do we are call you doing? it? Yeah, what's the label? What, what is it? Is it jazz? This is leaning a little bit more towards jazz, actually. Yeah, well, that's the other one I wanted to ask you about the uh, songs and collaborations recording. Oh, really? You listen because to that also? I listened yeah. to that, and when I first heard it, I said, This is interesting because this is pop, but. Then yeah. there were two tracks that stood out to me. One was uh, Swing It. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went right to that one just because of the name. <laughs> yeah, really some dense harmonies, jazz improvisation. Yeah. And then uh, Lost in Madrid, where you pull out the mm. organ for a really great yeah. <laughs> jazzy solo. So I thought, oh, that's really great. He's still doing some organ things. Yeah. Okay. I tell you the story about that. I'm, I'm very happy that you have listened to that because this is all old stuff. Um, it was 2008. I wanted to make a pop album. I had a, I met a producer in Stockholm and uh, we talked about it and we wanted to mix a little bit, have a lot of guest artists, famous names. And I wrote all the lyrics and I wrote the, the songs. Then it kind of came to a stop and this producer disappeared and I had this material for a long time that I didn't know what to do with. And this is only like a third of what I have. We wow. recorded so many songs. Um, then I thought, oh, I will I will make something out of it. I will make a mix. I will take some mm. of the pop-like pieces and the ice piano. This is from another composer, Frederick Hörberg, that also wrote Ice Concerto for me that I played in, in Germany. And, you know, this orchestra and backtrack and video. The ice icebreaker, that's mm. just the finale, the first piece, the first right. track. And then I took some of the best jazz pieces, some of the best songs, put it together like a... An album, and then I, I thought about it. Asked my wife, should I should I release this? I mean, I'm a classical pianist. This hmm. will uh, people will be very. <laughs> I don't know. They think I'm. You know, it's just not allowed to do yeah. that officially. 
Uh, and I was thinking I should do it under, under a pseudonym or call me something else and just <laughs> for the fun of it. And I still I think, well, this is good stuff. It's not bad. I, I Okay, I just put it out there. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I actually work on something uh, not similar, but something with, with piano electronics now. But it's not pop as such. Uh, I won't have drums and bass. Um, I want to do something mixing electronics and piano. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just feel that this is, uh, for me, it's it's impossible to, to, to stay with one thing and, mm-hmm. and exclude something because it's a different genre or something. Uh, if I feel I can say something in that genre, I will try. And I don't know, these pop songs, yeah, I think they are okay. I mean, it's very difficult to write. I'm not, I wasn't trying to write any hits, you know, it's just <laughs> to take a, a very common uh, structure that we, we put some, in one song, we put some flute and some some uh, recitation at last in mm-hmm. French and these kind of things. And the structure of these songs are, I think there's not one normal song, maybe one. Mm-hmm. But today also pop is going completely different way. It's just one harmony, it's just yeah. a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I grew up with Beatles and I liked Stevie Wonder. And this is what I was, before I even knew Mozart and Beethoven, I was inspired by them. Mm-hmm. I played their songs. And now they are, of course, also classical. Beatles is like also yeah. classical. Right? Right. You could always almost release, as a classical pianist today, I could release a Beatles album on the piano. No one said, oh, this is not this is a good idea. I have a colleague in, in the conservatory, the academy, he's a great classical guitarist. He just released Beatles songs yeah. on the classical guitar. Actually, a famous jazz pianist just just released an entire album of Beatles songs. So. Oh, really? I think times are changing. This, you yeah. know, in the nineties or beginning of two thousand, I was very careful with that pop album. I remember two thousand eight. I thought I cannot release this because uh, I will be. It will damage my my yeah. reputation. Mm. Yeah, that's sad. I think um, we're we're way too compartmentalized now, and I'd really like to see some of these uh, barriers taken down. We're trying to do that actually on the podcast as well. So I'm just waiting for Under Shift to release his next pop album. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear his most recent release? He played um, the Bach Inventions and oh, on the clavichord. On the clavichord, yeah. yeah we just talked I, about that. It yeah. was a really interesting recording. I, I really like him a lot because he's. He's not, you know, just come and doing all the time what, what's uh, been done. He's oh, yeah. experimenting. Of course, yeah. he's classical, all classical. But he's doing with, he did a Brahms concerto, you know, on this other Bösendorfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, we uh, talked about that too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we love this music that breaks boundaries. We did recently a uh, jazz saxophonist, Charles Owens, and he did a recording of all pop songs that he grew up with hearing on the radio. He was about the same age as us, and he did a jazz version of Super Tramp, and uh, <laughs> there was, <laughs> was uh, The Spinners, yeah. Could It the Be I'm Falling In with. Love, and all these songs that we knew growing up in the 70s on the radio, and he yeah. turned them into jazz, and I thought it just worked out great. Uh, so I think crossing genres and using other material for ideas, it's great, and we should break out of these kind of stiff you know, genre defined and stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to teach this, but to my students also, and then most of them are actually doing it. It's it's the times are really changing. And uh, that's why you can have influences from any genre, you know, it's just what you do with it. I remember when I was a student in Stockholm and my teacher said, you must stop listening to Miles Davis all the time, you know, listen to classical recording. I mean, it's boring. (laughs) It's what I'm doing all the day playing. I want to hear some inspiring phrasing or something Mm -hmm. else. Right. It's right. the music. It's not the instrument. It was the music. I love Davis, Miles Davis, the way he played. 
it inspired me. And it, I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm a pianist, but it's, it doesn't matter. So I've listened to Keith Jarrett also, of course, but mm. it's not about instrument. It's about the, the music making. Right. In case you missed it, the uh, the jazz pianist that played the Beatles songs is uh, Brad Meldow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. the album's called Your He's Mother famous. Should Know. You should give that a listen. It's really interesting. He's a famous, yeah. Great. Thanks for the tip. Okay. Now, before we go, I just want to tell you one more thing. In Japanese, your name would be Niklas Shivilov. Oh, okay. I looked it up. <laughs> so it'd be she at the beginning. Shivilov. Okay. Or Shivilofu <laughs> at the end. I don't know if they'd say the U. Oh, it's close to the Chinese. Shivilu. Yeah. Shivilu. They would say fu at the end, though. Yeah. yeah okay. This one. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for yeah, uh, so much. talking to us. This has been uh, very enlightening. I'm going to put on the headphones now and listen to those symphonies again, I think. Yeah, it was a great chat. Thank you for having me. Look forward to the rest of those symphonies coming out in the next great. couple of years. And um, now we've got some things to listen for when we go back. And right. That's always exciting for us. You just discover these new details. Because when we do um, new composers, it's you hear them once or twice and you're really not sure what they're after because they're all very different. And it, it's really hard to to talk about Great. it on the podcast. How, how did you find the Naxos uh, symphonies? Well, I look for, um, we found it on, I found it on this one on Presto, the Presto website uh -huh. in uh, England. And um, I'm always looking for just unfamiliar names in the classical music releases. So uh, contemporary composers. I mean, in fact, we're going to do another one the week after the, this, the next week. Oh, great. Yeah. So I try to do as many contemporary composers as possible because I keep hearing how... Uh, you know, well, classical wonderful. music is dead, and in fact, not many people listen to it. But people are still composing it, so I think we should be listening. <laughs> really. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm very happy. You know, the, the German magazine Forum Forum—they just wrote about this CD. Mm -hmm. Very favorable. Um, very enthusiastic about this. Um, the same as you saying, it's Nordic, it's modern, but it's still accessible. Yeah. And it's it's does it has you know he also mentions Stravinsky and Sibelius but still it's it doesn't overtake the oh, impression yeah. is that it's something yeah. and you got good performances and really good sound quality as well they captured mm -hmm. the the engineers captured the orchestra exceptionally well so yeah. it's a it's a really good release yeah so yeah that's great we're happy to have it right well for any of our listeners out there I'll put links for that. And the previous symphonies, uh, also your concertos and a couple other albums in there, so everyone can have easy access to check all of this out. If you haven't heard the podcast that we feature that in, I'll put that there too. And we'll all look forward to whatever comes out next. I especially want to hear that symphony number two, so I hope that gets recorded uh, sometime soon. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, people could hear that uh, podcast we did about your symphonies and, and hear how wrong I was in some of my analysis. That always happens, though. Yeah. You hear it once or twice, and then later on, you're like, oh, I didn't hear that the first time. I don't know. But that comes with the territory, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, great. great. So we look forward to a lot more and maybe talk to you again in the future. So thanks so much, Nicholas. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. 